So I think I'm in better shape than most adults in some ways. Uh, usually on the mountain, I like just passing everybody up to the summit. From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature. Real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Caroline Ballard. In this episode of Human Nature, it's not human nature. Since it's the holiday season, we thought we'd give you, our loyal listeners, a little gift. If you like our show, we think you'll like this too. New Hampshire Public Radio produces another great podcast about the outdoors. It's called Outside In. And in case it's not already on your radar, maybe the story you're about to hear will convince you to add it to your playlist. First, though, introductions. The show's host is Sam Evans-Brown. He's an environmental reporter who, he won't mind me saying, can really geek out about his work. But when Outside In started, his production team needed some convincing that the ideas Sam cared about were ideas they, and the show's listeners, should care about too. Well, I mean, at first it was really hard because I would come to them. I mean, I'm an enthusiastic person generally, and I would come to them with these ideas that I was super jazzed about. And we would have these pitch meetings where it was clear I was the only one who thought that this was an exciting topic. And it was a real learning experience for me. And I think I think one has that has shaped how how the show sounds, where you know, I've I've really come to understand why it is that there are so many people who don't really, I mean, they care about the environment on this sort of conceptual level, but, but you know, nuts and bolts, am I going to sit down and listen to a 12-minute story about, you know, wetland health? <laughs> They're not on board for that. And exactly why that is, is um, the, the learning curve that I've gone through. Who do you imagine outside in is for we're making a show that that is going to appeal to people who haven't necessarily given a great deal of thought to environmental issues who don't necessarily know a ton about environmental issues but who are open to the idea of of becoming engaged on the topic they just don't have any sort of a foundation or a background to get them engaged outside in likes to do stories like the one that we're about to hear, that probe gray areas and don't exactly reach a concrete answer. Why did you decide on that? Well, I mean, when we think of the shows that we like the most, they're the ones that prompt these great conversations afterward. So that tends to be our goal that we're that we're driving towards is in our pitch sessions, we know that we've hit on a story that we want to tell when, you know, as soon as the producer who starts pitching the story, you know, they're quickly sidelined because all the other producers are arguing over over the, the sort of nuts and bolts of why this is interesting. Uh, so when these great conversations happen within within the team of people who are working on this, that's when we know that we've hit on something that, that we think that we can do well. Well, Sam, looking forward to... Uh letting our human nature listeners in on Outside In. Yeah, and thank you so much. Uh, It should be fun. Ben Clark was 21 years old when he told his parents he wanted to climb Mount Everest. At the time, he would have been the second youngest American to make the summit. I just didn't see there being a great reward versus the risk that you had to take. That's Ben's dad, Jerry Clark. As you might expect, he and his wife weren't thrilled by the idea. Killing yourself is a bad, 
but it's probably not near as bad as losing a leg or a foot or having major frostbite issues and being disabled uh, for the rest of your life. Not that their son wasn't an accomplished climber by this point. It's just, you know, this is Mount Everest. This is not a safe place. It's an end to itself. And uh, I just didn't see it as a thing that would help him uh, promote his uh, ability to earn a good living and, and move on through life at a later date. I was wrong. I mean, he's done fine since, and it showed a great deal of character and determination and persistence to do it. Ben didn't need his parents' blessing to climb Everest. He was an adult, old enough to vote, old enough to sign up for the military, and old enough to prove his dad wrong. And in 2003, he made it to the top of the world's tallest mountain. Summited about 9 o'clock, definitely time. And it was the hardest thing I think I've ever done in my life. If you can put aside the place Mount Everest holds in global mountaineering culture, which is complicated, I think we can acknowledge the difficulty of Ben's achievement and celebrate the drive it took him to get him there. But what if, when Ben set out to climb Mount Everest, what if he'd been just a little bit younger? What if he was a lot younger? Would we still feel the same way? I didn't make you get up early, did I? No, today we had actually work. We would work out in the morning, so you saved me from a workout. <laughs> oh man! This is Tyler Armstrong. He's twelve years old. So I think I'm in better shape than most adults in some ways. Uh, usually on the mountain, I like just passing everybody up to the summit. It sounds like you're pretty competitive about this. Yes. <laughs> this spring, Tyler's heading to China to the base camp on the north side of Mount Everest. He'll spend days climbing up and then down the mountain, acclimating to the incredibly high altitude. And then he'll make a summit push, climbing higher than 26,000 feet into what's called the death zone in his attempt to become the youngest person in the world to summit the world's highest peak. Uh, People say I can't do it at such a young age, but why why not do it now when I can do it in 30 years? It doesn't make a difference, really. From New Hampshire Public Radio, this is Outside In, and I'm Sam Evans-Brown. Today, we explore a question of ethics. How young is too young to climb Mount Everest? Okay, here are some basic facts. Tyler is not an ordinary 12-year-old. In 2011, he became the youngest person to hike California's Mount Whitney in a single day. That's a 22-mile hike, and Tyler was in second grade. The next year, at age 8, he became the second youngest person to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. He's already been up three of the seven summits, the tallest mountain on each continent. Kilimanjaro in Africa, Mount Aconcagua in South America, and Mount Elbrus in Europe. And he's not going alone. On Everest, instead of the usual one guide per five climbers, Tyler will have two guides all to himself. And his dad will be with him, if he can hack it. We have professional guides who have been training Tyler. This is Tyler's dad, Kevin Armstrong. And these guides are telling us that, look, Tyler is 
extremely unique. He's like almost like a once-in-a-generation type climber. His ability to handle altitudes, his maturity on the mountain, they say he's better than almost 90% of their adult clients. He's right. In some ways, Tyler is better equipped than a lot of climbers who have successfully summited Everest. But when you talk to Tyler, he looks and sounds like a kid. His voice hasn't dropped. He's not especially big for his age. He likes to play laser tag. And you can't help but wonder, no matter how good he is, if he really knows what he's getting himself into. Hi, I'm Tyler Armstrong. I'm 11 years old. I'm trying to climb the seventh summits, and I'm climbing for Kudushen. I just got back. Last year, Tyler asked for advice on climbing Everest on HuffPost Live. The first person to respond was John Krakauer, author of Into Thin Air. I would say you need to really look at what you're doing and why. Climbing Mount Everest was the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. I wish I'd never gone. Uh, I suffered for years of PTSD, still suffer from what happened. You know, if I had, could go back and relive my life, I would never have climbed Everest. In 1996, John Krakauer survived what was then the deadliest tragedy to strike the mountain, a sudden blizzard that trapped and killed eight people near the summit. Last year, there was a movie about it, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Josh Brolin, which Krakauer hated, by the way. I'm the last person who should tell people, you know, not to do crazy shit, but um, think twice about it. When pressed about the risk of a 12-year-old summiting Everest, both Tyler and his dad emphasize all the work they're doing to minimize the dangers, the extra guides, the training regime, even the route they're taking. But there's another argument that they make. In the last two years, there's been a lot of uh, like deaths on Everest because of the, um, the avalanches and the earthquakes. But I think like in anything, there's dangers. Like if you play baseball, you can get a ball thrown to your head and then it's not good. There's a danger in everything, but I don't think people like take the other things and think about um, what the danger of that is. You know, you could die in a car accident. I mean, four or five kids play football every year and die. It's it's one of those things that, you know, accidents do happen. We're not ignorant of that fact. Okay, so point taken. Tens of thousands of kids are sent to the hospital every year because of trampoline accidents. On average, 24,000 kids go to the ER every year because they get hurt on shopping carts. Seriously, we looked it up. And then there are all the kids playing football, racing stock cars, competing in the X Games. Is climbing really more dangerous than doing all of those things? We decided to take this question to someone whose job it is to evaluate risk, an insurance underwriter. Well, my name's Jonathan Thomas. I'm the head of specialty at um, Munich Re's Syndicate in Lloyds. Lloyds of London, uh, for 300 odd years, has been the Silicon Valley of insurance. Lloyds of London is known for insuring just about anything, including Heidi Klum's legs, a sculpture made out of frozen blood, even a famous cricket player's iconic mustache. So it's no surprise that if you're planning on climbing Mount Everest, they have an insurance package for that. And the basic coverage that people usually look for is death and disablement. And one thing, we, of course, we don't cover with Everest is we don't cover people for the loss of fingers, thumbs, toes. Quite frankly, it's quite likely that you will lose um, a digit somewhere to frostbite. But if I tell you that to climb Everest to insure somebody for a three-week period is probably 
about five to six times the cost of insuring a professional NASCAR driver for a whole year, you get some idea of how much more risky um, Everest is. Now, insurance works on a pretty simple principle. The contributions of the many pay for the misfortunes of the few. But to make that principle work in practice, you've got to be able to accurately assess risk. And that means data. Some activities are difficult to insure because agencies just don't have enough data to understand the risk. But in the case of Everest, the number of people who have climbed and the number of people who have died is very well documented. But what you can't um, relate those to is the particular sample of people that you might be looking at insuring. So within that, you will have professional mountaineers, you will have people who are doing Everest without oxygen, you will have people in their late 60s, some people in their 70s, you'll have very young people, you'll even have one guy who went up it uh, who's an amputee. So you can work out the overall um, chance of a person not making it to the top of Everest. And that number hovers around about the 10% range. A 10% chance of death. If that sounds pretty high, that's because it is. But there is a caveat. That 10% figure is for people who make the summit push, people who climb to the highest camps and eventually enter the death zone. For the sake of insurance, Jonathan has to assume that a climber will try to make the summit. So he takes that 10% figure and then he adjusts it based off of all the other information he has. Has the climber experienced altitude sickness before? Then that 10% number skyrockets. Is it a professional expedition with no tourists in the group? Then the number goes down. So what does this mean for Tyler? If you take the the example of a 12-year-old who has a considerable amount of experience of climbing in extreme conditions and getting up to very, very high altitudes. Which Tyler has. If we're assuming that he is or she is accompanied by experienced mountaineers. Which Tyler will be. They could well be a better risk than a extremely fit but less experienced individual who might be in their late 20s, early 30s. So Everest is riskier than playing football, But it sounds like that risk doesn't have much to do with Tyler's age. In fact, when you talk to people about Tyler, it's not a question of whether he can do it physically. Um, Being in the climbing industry for so long, I've been jaw-dropped impressed with what kids are capable of. I've seen 12-year-olds do some pretty crazy things. (laughs) I mean, just, you know, here in the gym rock climbing, there are are 12-year-old kids who amaze me with what they can do compared to what I can do. It's whether or not he is emotionally capable of making the decision to climb at all. The word that came up a lot? Maturity. I mean, I'm trying to think of when I was in sixth grade or so, when I was 12 years old. You haven't learned algebra yet. You want to say what you you, you need to know what he wants out of life, but again, he's 12 years old. That's going to change next year. Um, I mean, I think any adult who thought, well, this is his passion, I should just let him do it, uh, is making a mistake. It's important enough that this could mean the end of your life. And I don't think a 12-year-old is ready to make that decision. So um, I just wanted to ask you about some of the reaction that, that, again, that we've been reading like on the Internet, that a lot of this has sort of centered on, is this a good idea? And, and a lot of it, I mean, kind of second-guessing you guys as parents. I mean, how, is that, how has that been for you? 
Um, you know, it's kind of disappointing in a way. A lot of these people are what I would consider armchair quarterbacks. Um, you know, a lot of people who, A, don't climb and, you know, have opinions. So, you know, which they're entitled to their own opinions. That's fine. It's kind of hard for us to tell Tyler he can't do something when he has the ability to do it. And he's proven to, you know, professionals that he has that ability to do it. I think there's a reason why Tyler's dad focuses on the physical aspect of this debate. And I think it's the same reason so many people feel conflicted about the issue. It's because maturity is a lot harder to measure than muscle. There are grown adults who can't drink responsibly. There are informed teenagers who would jump at the chance to vote, and people in their 40s and 50s who have never used the ballot box. We understand that people are not defined by their age, but on the other hand, we get all wrapped up in this sort of legal shorthand. If you're under 18, you're a child and you can't be trusted to do certain things. It demonstrates a, a conflict between two major ethical principles that we hold near and dear to our heart. This is Tom Plant, a professor of psychology at Santa Clara University. His area of specialty is ethics. One is protect children, and that's a pretty universal ethical principle. But the other is that we respect people's rights for self-determination, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And this is a good example of, on one hand, we want to protect kids from harm, and should an 11-year-old, you know, uh, go up Everest, versus, well, individuals and their families have a right to decide how they want to live their life. So do you think that this tells us something about where we are as a culture when it, when it comes to this idea of of how much risk kids should be allowed to take on? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And part of it is it speaks to our own ambivalence about this very issue. Um, Our culture is in a very ambivalent place around child protection. So on one hand, there's this free-range parenting, let kids kind of do what they do, follow their own bliss. If they want to climb Mount Everest at age 11, so be it, and so forth. But on the other hand, we also bubble wrap our children. You know, we don't want them to have any suffering or any harm. And I think every parent in America and elsewhere probably has at least some struggle with this uh, desire on the part of their child to become independent, make important decisions for themselves versus trying to keep them close and safe and uh, healthy. So if you had the Armstrong family in front of you right now, would you would you have any advice to give them or, or do you feel like they've already weighed all these considerations as well as they can? I think what we would want to do is go through the thoughtful reflection on the pros, the cons, the different approaches in ethical decision-making and parental decision-making. And at the end of the day, they make a full and informed decision uh, and uh, are able to live with the consequences. And so if Tyler climbs Mount Everest and comes um, out of that experience uh, healthy, there will be a movie. There will be a book. He'll probably meet President Obama. I mean, everything, you know, at the White House. It'll be all of this wonderful applause. But if things go poorly, uh, then not only will he be harmed or per- perhaps, you know, uh, dead, which would be just a terrible tragedy, and but the parents will also, you know, be blamed. So this may be a good time to point out that this whole debate, 
it's happened before. Because in 2010, the last kid to break the record for youngest person to summit Everest was 13-year-old Jordan Romero, who, at the time, was just 19 months older than Tyler Armstrong is now. Do you think other kids should try and do this? Do you think other 13-year-olds should try? No. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a dangerous and, and hard mountain. And back then, the media was asking the same question we are today. Should children be allowed to act like grown-ups, even if it puts them in jeopardy? Case in point, Jordan Romero. And Jordan's dad was making the same points about the dangers of everyday life. We want to talk about our irresponsible parenting. Let's talk about the million and some parents that are standing in a fast food restaurant ready to supersize their kid right now for dinner tonight. That's irresponsible parenting. You, you think that getting your kid a Big Mac for dinner is the same thing as taking a 13-year-old boy to the top of Mount Everest? Well known to promote disease and early death. Documented. Proven. Since summiting Everest, Jordan has co-authored two books about his climbing. He's been on talk shows and late-night TV. And while he didn't get to meet President Obama, then-Governor Schwarzenegger did call him a true champion. He says he doesn't regret it, even though while he was on the mountain, he saw a man die. Jordan and his father are dragged down the mountain and briefly buried. Are you okay? You okay? Just 80 feet away, a Hungarian climber is killed, buried under a sheet of ice. You know, we said hi to that guy right before it all had happened. Just seconds? Just seconds. So it's obvious what Tyler stands to lose in his attempt to summit Everest. His life, his body, his innocence. What he stands to gain is still up in the air. Tyler, explain to me what it feels like the moment you succeed at one of these climbs. You hit, you hit the peak, you're there. What's the first thought that enters your mind? I did it, and now I get to go down. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. I'm right there with you. I, I like that. Go down. <laughs> So Sam actually talked to Tyler last year, and there's an update to the story. Depending on where you stand on the issue, it may make you breathe a sigh of relief. In 2010, the Chinese government set an age restriction for climbing Everest and does not allow anyone under the age of 18 or over the age of 60 to summit. Despite his experience and fitness level, they refused to make an exception for Tyler and denied him a permit. Tyler says he'll try again in 2017. Thanks to Outside In for sharing this episode with us. It was produced by Sam Evans-Brown, Maureen McMurray, and Taylor Quimby. Music for the episode was from Uncanny Valleys. You can see pictures of Tyler and listen to lots of other great episodes at outsideinradio.org. And of course, the show is also in all the usual places, like iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Before you go, we have a special holiday sale on our snazzy Heather Blue Super Soft Human Nature t-shirts with our friendly bison-wearing earbuds logo. You can order a shirt at humannaturepodcast.org. Click on the donate link. I'm Caroline Ballard. From all of us at Human Nature, including our producers Aaron Jones, Anna Rader, and Micah Schweitzer, we wish you a happy holidays. Our theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. It's human nature.